This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com. Thanks for spending some of your Saturday with us. I miss working Saturdays. Does that sound weird? Yeah, you're uh, you're losing me on that front. <laughs> you know used, what though? This I'm used to diving into the hockey on Saturdays. This is great. You know what though? What we do for work, we're so lucky that you're ner- you're not totally off base there. I'm I'm happy to be here and and getting to cover the Canucks. I'll do that any Saturday. John Abbott, JD Burke, Hour Two, Nation Network Radio, presented by Canucks Army. We will do this every week. Time frame and to schedule to be determined. <laughs> uh, partly because the Lions are still going and they'll. Be on with the pregame show coming up after we're done today. Farhan Lalji kicking it off at uh, 5 o'clock as the Lions take on the Eskies. Of course, there's the Canucks games. Don't play today. So we have the 3-5 to five time slot filled. Tomorrow, it'll be Dave Tomlinson and myself taking you through intermissions and postgame following the Caps match, which is of utmost importance, obviously, to say the least, against Portland. Only game in the league tomorrow in the NHL. Vancouver, Detroit, as the Canucks continue along a five-game road trip. Uh, One of their longer ones, well, it is the longest one at this point in the season, but uh, longer through the east and then finishing off with Minnesota before heading back to Van City. Canucks coming off of a 4-2 win in Buffalo to split the back-to-backs. Good sign for Travis Green to dig deep on that second game. Uh, Did have, you know, a difficult one to move on from in some ways against the Boston Bruins, but back into the win column, 3-3-1 are the Canucks this season and two wins on three games in the road trip. Some tough news along the way. Alex Edler uh, lost four to six weeks, uh, and so the blue line continues to be uh, a little bit of a miss, uh, uh, a mix and match, rather, for Travis Green and Nolan Baumgartner as the Canucks go game to game. And then Louis Erickson, a loss just before the road trip on what was a brutal hit from former Canuck Tanner Glass. I just could not believe there was uh, not a call on that play, particularly given what Good Branson was suspended for. Um, I realized different areas of the ice, and it was Erickson that went into the netting, but not to even get a call on that was uh, difficult to stomach. And so Louis Erickson is still absent uh, from the proceedings for the Canucks for the foreseeable future. And that's where we'll begin this segment and this second hour of Nation Network Radio, J.D., when we went up and down the Canucks lineup, lots of moving pieces. We found out very early that Travis Green is going to do things differently, and and for the most part, I like that. Question mark for me was, where does Louis Erickson fit? Where does a guy like Louis Erickson factor in? Where is he best positioned on lines one through four? And even the fact that you have to open yourself up to thinking about line four is not a good sign when it comes to the $6 million man, Louis Erickson. Canucks don't have to worry about that. For the short term, some would suggest that that is a good thing. Uh, I'm not going to go that far when you consider Lou Erickson has played in this league a long time, but uh, there certainly would be some that suggest uh, that's quite all right, that he's out four to six weeks. Next up for me is Sam Gagne. I'm having a really tough time figuring out where he fits in this lineup. And again, lines one through four. And and that I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. He's already been sprinkled through. That's right. That's right. We were talking a little bit off the air about Sam Gagne, and doesn't he just kind of feel like a, a square peg that they're trying to fit in a million different round holes and nothing's working? I think they've played him on every single one of the Canucks lines, and at no point have I thought to myself, that fits. 
Hasn't, put, hasn't been played down the middle. That's the lone exception yes. to this point, unless my memory is uh, haunting me here. No, I, no, I don't you're believe right there. he's played down the middle yet. And that was p- supposed to be part of the value of bringing in a Sam Gagne. The Canucks are under no delusions of him being able to replace Henrik Sedin at any point, but they want insurance down the middle if they have to encounter a future without the Sedins as recently as next season. And that's, that's kind of why they prioritize finding a center who they think can do it all. My question right now, when I look at the way the Canucks are using Sam Gagne, is how much pre-scouting did they do on this player? Because I've seen him used in every single role imaginable except for the ones he's suited to. You look at Sam Gagne, his entire career he has been a playmaker. He's been an offensive player, a bit of a bit player at even strength. You have to shelter him, you have to put him in a good role like Columbus did last year. He was playing on that uh, ultra-modern fourth line, and it really worked. But this year we've seen Sam Gagne on a shutdown line. We've seen him on the penalty kill. We've seen him as the trigger man on the Canucks power play. When are they going to get it right? Because right now, I mean, we're talking about a player who has 10 years experience in the NHL. And you would think that he's brand new to the league the way they're using him. It's, there's just such an incongruity between Gagne's skill set and the way the Canucks are using him right now. And, and I have a question for you. Where do you put him in the lineup? Oh, boy, that is a, that is a difficult one to answer right now. Uh, I we can restate what the Canucks went with a night ago in Buffalo. Sedin's Vertanen, Berchi Horvat getting back together, Brock Besser on that side. So that's a trio that's been reunited from last year, and I thought uh, played very well for Travis Green in that situation, including going up against the likes of Jack Eichel. Uh, it was Granlin in a shutdown role with Sutter and Dorset, and how can you complain what you're getting from Derek Dorset these days, who is in a three-way tie for the team lead in points and has, uh, and has four goals in seven games in, uh, as a guy that we thought might be in and out of the lineup and maybe wouldn't even make it back to the lineup after what he went through last year. So Derek Dorset, I know we'll get to him later on in the program as well, but just a uh, just an incredible comeback story. I think we can call it that now, paired with Brandon Sutter. And Marcus Granlin is a tough one for me to see him uh, positioned that low. I understand it from his reliable two-way, uh, you know, structured game. I understand it from his reliability defensively. Uh, I, I'm still tied to that vision of him with the Sedins and how that works. And maybe that'll have to be redefined given the, the, the way the Sedins have been used this year in a different role. But that still doesn't tell me much when it's Gagne, Burmistrov, and Vanek. That's almost like, uh, I mean, that's a lot of odds and ends. That's the what island that of misfit like. toys. That's what that is. That is the free agent line. Now, so whether or not Green, after a win, comes right back to that, of course, remains to be seen. Gagne, by the way, to assist, had a power play helper in Boston against the Bruins and had one helper against the Winnipeg Jets on home ice before departing for this road trip. And uh, uh, you would think... On first blush, despite the fact that he played a fourth-line role, as you indicated last year in Columbus, that seemed to work for him, uh, that he is better suited on a little bit more of a skill line. And and how do you do that is now the question for Travis Green. Well, which skilled players are you going to find for Sam Gagne to play with? I don't want to be too hard on the Canucks here, but this isn't a team that's necessarily replete with skilled players. Certainly not the type that the Canucks are going to need to shelter him properly at even strength. And that's sort of been the problem with Sam Gagne throughout his career, is that you really need to do that to get the most out of him. Now, you, you were talking about Marcus Granlund, and you were talking about Sam Gagne. Peas in a pod, those two. They are both in the bottom five right now among all Canucks forwards in points per 60 minutes at even strength. Canucks need to get more production out of those two. 
We were talking a little bit about this last week. This is why I don't want Marcus Granlin with Brandon Sutter. You can say what you will about Brandon Sutter's two-way game. I think there's merit to his abilities in the defensive zone, but this is not a great distributor of the puck. And you can see that reflected in Brandon Sutter's assist numbers. He's got some of the lowest assist rates in the league. I think he finished last year with three primary assists. That line is where offense goes to die, unless you're Derek Dorsett. And that's why I'm with you on this one. we got to see Marcus Granlund in an extended sample with somebody who can get him the puck. Because you look at that shot. Yes, he converted on 15% last year, but he did it with a bum wrist. What's going to happen this year when somebody's feeding him the puck in the slot and he's got a healthy wrist? I think 20 goals is realistic if you can put him with somebody who's going to put him in a position to score. Interesting on the right side. We mentioned no Louis Erickson, and uh, Brock Besser has just in- increased the way I I see him as a player, the way that, uh, you know, my opinion, <laughs> look way down the list before you get to him taking him out of the lineup. I mean, uh, he just continues to impress me so much. Uh, when it was Besser, Berchi, Burmistrov on the power play, watching the game, who's helping to run plays from the bench? Who's going over things? It's Brock Besser. Not only in conversation with Newell Brown, but just knowing what to do with his line mates and uh, you know, really instructing Burmistrov that way. And you can see it on the ice as well. And, and boy, oh boy, is it encouraging to see that kind of leadership and vision from Brock Besser. His play away from the puck I've thoroughly enjoyed. Not only does he have a keen sense of when to gap up, not only does he have a keen sense of when to be aggressive, but he has forced turnovers in the neutral zone and jumping into the play uh, in what would be the Canucks attacking zone, their offensive zone, as the as the opposition is trying to make their way up the ice. So uh, Brock Besser is a staple for me. Question is, you know, as well, where does he fit? Is it Berchi and Horvat? You could certainly make a good argument for that. Um, potentially maybe getting a, a bit of a look with the Sedins, although is that the most optimal place for him to be used? Uh, perhaps not. So if it's not Besser with the Sedins and it's uh, Besser with Horvat and Berchi, that leaves Vertanen as an option with the Twins, you'd think, and Granlin, we saw that used uh, both of those options used in the game in Buffalo. So, yeah, you're right. Now it starts to be, well, what wing is Gagne going to play? And who's going to be the leftovers if you do have Staples in Besser and Vertanen in the lineup at the same time? And then, of course, Louis Erickson's going to come back at some point. So uh, it, I don't think it's a shutdown line, which means it has to be I think in that third line role and we'll find out if there can be some chemistry evolved. Would you like to see him play in the middle as opposed to the wing? If it's on the third line, is there any argument for that? You know where I want to see Burmistrov in this case. Oh, you, you just ruined my entire game plan because <laughs> you know what I want to see. The Canucks had a, a situation at the, the end of their preseason where they went to that Gagne Burmistrov Vertanen line and that's the best Gagne's looked. He's looked out of place since. I thought that line has real potential as a modern shutdown line. I want to see Green go back to that. That's what I want to see. If it means so, what do you do with Vanek? He's back with the Twins then, and Granlin stays with Sutter and Dorset. Jeremy Davis, who we're going to have on the show in a little bit, he had a really interesting article on this, and and we were talking last week about Thomas Vanek and what a difficult fit he's been with the Canucks. 
or what he was before this week, and he went off and scored a couple of those goals. The way Travis Green was deploying Thomas Vanek with the Sedin twins, and maybe we can ask Jeremy about this a bit more when he's on the show, was he was using him as an offensive specialist, so he was giving the Sedins a ton of offensive zone starts, and perhaps you can sort of mitigate some of their concerns where foot speed. You know, if if you start the, the shift in the offensive zone with the puck, that's not as much of an issue. So I don't hate Vanek with the Sedin lines if Green's going to keep using them in that fashion. And if that's what you have to do to make the rest of your lines solvent, do it. It was working. There's certainly two sides to the coin on many topics, which is part of the fun of uh, talking sports in general, but talking some job. hockey here on a Saturday. And I'm I'm a fan of reduced minutes for the Sedins, and that does not change my perspective of them. That does not take away from anything they've accomplished. That does not change their value in a hockey game. In fact, here's how I'm approaching it. If there is a if there is a reduction in minutes earlier in the game, which there have been for the most part under Travis Green, that still allows you to play them in important situations if need be as the game goes on, whether that's from behind or securing a lead, and that if it works its way to overtime, which it has once this year, and who was on the ice a ton in that game? Daniel and Henrik in the OT, in fact, put together some of the better chances in that in that game uh, against the Senators that the Canucks eventually lost in a shootout, that home game, Burroughs' return. It certainly sizes itself up to, be a, to put them in a better position, to have them more fresh. And so I'm in favor of this new game plan for Daniel and Henrik, and that directly relates perhaps, to who is tied to them. And so if that's not Marcus Granlin, that is Thomas Vanek, maybe you have something there. And and perhaps it's up to Travis Green to sort of work in that winger, unless he's okay with Jake Vertan and getting less minutes overall, in different situations as the game goes on, just to make sure that whoever it is on that right side is still getting playing time. So that brings us all the way back to Sam Gagne, and I don't think that player is him. I don't think he has a fit on the on the line with the Twins, despite the fact that uh, we haven't seen it a whole lot and that GM Jim Benning suggested before the season began that that could be an option. Obviously, anything's an option, but I don't know if that's that's necessarily the best opportunity for Gagne to succeed, although we haven't seen a whole lot of it. So we're still... We're still in the feeling out process here through seven games, it certainly sounds like. I mean, you don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> so if the Canucks want to go to the the well with that move, they want to bring Gagne up with the Sedin twins. I thought Jake Vertanen with the twins was an awful idea. Turns out I was pretty wrong about that. And and I'm never I'm never gonna give a coach a hard time for experimenting. Especially when you look at this Canucks lineup. It's just we talk about the line where it's all spare parts. There's a lot of that throughout the entire Canucks lineup. And so Travis Green's going to have to get creative. It's just it's the reality of what he has to work with. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, you're on board with the Sedins playing less, and I'm right there with you. How far are you willing to take that, though? Because I'm looking at the even strength ice time last night. Want to guess which two forwards played the fewest minutes at even strength? It's the Sedin twins. Do you think that's going a bit too far? Well, is, there, is there a happy medium? I don't know if there's one answer to that. I think what we learned from Green is that it can be a game-by-game basis, and so I'm fine with that. I mean, if it means a dozen minutes one night and you pull out a, a, a one- or a two-goal win, then good on them for sucking it up a little bit 
and realizing that maybe they're not going to be uh, as relied upon as they were under Willie D. But that could very well change. Do I see that changing against the Red Wings? Not really. You need to be, you need to ice a lineup that can keep up or try and set the pace. Yep. That gets thrown out a lot. I don't know if it's achievable, perhaps, with Athens CU not as part of the artillery that the Red Wings have to deliver, but they're still a, a quick team. They're still a mobile team. Um, so that doesn't, to me, that doesn't jump off the page as play the Sedins more. So maybe you wait two more games. You know, may, or excuse me, one more game, and you get into Minnesota. Or maybe they become more valuable to you. Daniel and Henrik at home ice when you can control the matchups a little bit more. So I don't know if there's one set answer there, J.D. That's an interesting point. What if this is what's going to become the new norm on the road? Because you can't control those matchups. You can't chase offensive zone starts. You have to you have to go with the flow of the play. And if, you, if you're looking to, to try and dominate at even strength, the NHL is a speed league. And and perhaps that's what Travis Green is thinking, especially going into a matchup with Detroit. you got Dylan Larkin. Uh, Anthony Mantha, those are fast players. So I think you're right. I think we're going to see some low minutes for the Sedin Twins tomorrow. But my question is just, is, is that going to be the new reality, though? I mean, not just when the Canucks are playing a fast team like Detroit. What happens when they're playing a slower team like, oh, I don't know. Let's say uh, I want to default to the New Jersey Devils, but they're pretty quick this year. Let's say the Los Angeles Kings. They're not a team of burners. Are the Sedin Twins going to play less than, than Alex Burmistrov in that in that situation? You'd think not, uh, because for me, Burmistrov has really been hot and cold as we continue to... Yep. Dis- I'll basically go up and down the lineup here, and, and he fits in with some others still trying to find their way. You're I'm just lining the veterans up one after the other. They're all getting in your crosshairs. Uh, First Erickson, this- now Gagne. <laughs> <laughs> Gagne, Gagne I'm, I'm still high on. It's yeah, just a matter of where time. is he going to fit. But you're right. I mean, Burmistrov seems to have uh, good and bad games, and uh, that's part of the struggle for... A lot of athletes is to find the consistency, and uh, right now he's being afforded the opportunity to try and uh, put that together. But when the Canucks are healthy, uh, that that window is likely smaller for a guy like Bermistrov. I think if you had to uh, guess who is going to be a healthy scratch more often than not, it's probably not Sam Gagne who has a three-year deal. It's probably Alex Bermistrov uh, that does not. As we continue to set you up uh, for the Canucks on their road trip, uh, the game which will be tomorrow, uh, by the way, intermission and post-game coverage can be found on TSN 1040. Myself uh, filling in for Blake Price. So will be joined by Dave Tomlinson. Only game in the league on Sunday. It is the Detroit Red Wings that host the Vancouver Canucks. Detroit busy today. Riley Sheehan packaged up and sent to the Pittsburgh Penguins along with a fifth-round pick in exchange for Scott Wilson and a third-round pick. Both the draft picks, by the way, 2018 selections. Pittsburgh in action today is games around the league that do not include Vancouver as they wait in Detroit to play the Red Wings, and they trail the Tampa Bay Lightning 1-0 to the Penguins. Nikita Kucherov, yes, again, lights the lamp his ninth of the season as he tracks down Alex Ovechkin for top spot in goals in the NHL. Lightning leading the Penguins 1-0. We'll continue to look around the National Hockey League but get more specific uh, to the Canucks on that theme, talk a little Jake Furtanen and uh, get Jeremy Davis' thoughts on what we recently touched on. Deployment along with personnel. It is Nation Network Radio presented by Canucks Army on TSN 1040. thought it was a good fit tonight. We played last night. I thought he'd add some speed to their, to their line. I, I thought their line was really good tonight. I thought the Twins played well. 
and uh, I like Jake's game. Travis Green in conversation after the Canucks victory 4-2 in Buffalo a night ago. John Abbott and J.D. Burke on Nation Network Radio. JV18, read the Pravis, that's the nickname. And he's perhaps finding a fit with Daniel and Henrik Sedin, at least in the short term, set up the play that would begin to the game-winning goal in Buff as well, that uh, debated offside, non-offside, and uh, it goes Vertanen and the Canucks' way, leading to a victory. And a hot topic is Jake Vertanen, start to finish. And right now it's moving in the right direction for him. J.D. will expand on this. Well, we got uh, Jeremy Davis coming onto the show. He just wrote an excellent article over at Canucks Army that you can check out now. It is called Green's Move Your Feet Credo. Has Vertanen providing value by drawing penalties? It is the kind of minutia, uh, you know, that kind of analysis that you won't find anywhere else. Who's going to look at penalty differential? Well, it's it's Jeremy Davis and Canucks Army. So, Jeremy Davis, we got him on the line. Yeah, I'm here. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Can you take us through your article on uh, Jer- Jake Vertanen and his play so far in the, the early parts of the season? Yeah, sure. Um, this was a, a pretty interesting article. I, I spent a lot of time kind of wandering around stats. I think I get my ideas in two different ways, either from watching or from uh, finding things. And I, I noticed when I was watching him drawing a lot of penalties, and I went to, to check it out. And when you you know go by rate, I saw him right up near the, the top of the league. And um, it fits really well into this, the whole idea that we've been hearing the move your feet thing kind of throughout training camp. It was present last year when he was in Utica. You heard that all the time. And you go back, and I, I clipped all the videos for the article of him drawing penalties, and it's all the same kind of thing. It's him skating fast, keeping his feet moving, and using his speed, which he has probably in a higher quantity than anyone else on the team at this point, to force opponents to take penalties just to try and slow him down. And, and Jeremy, can you kind of take us through the value of a drawn penalty? If we're just going to look at a league average team right here, and we're not taking into account how poor the Canucks power play has looked, what kind of sure. value does that add to the lineup? Uh, well, the average uh, power play normally converts at around 20%. So just using simple math, you would think that uh, one drawn penalty is worth, if you're if non-offsetting, right, so you're causing a power play, one drawn penalty is worth about one-fifth of a goal. Now, with the Canucks uh, power play the way it currently is, which uh, at the time I wrote the article, it was 12.9%. They didn't score on the power play last game, so I assume it's gone down. But they, they're needing, like, you know, to draw eight or nine penalties for for the value of one goal at this point. And and another thing that you tried to point out in your article, too, is that Jake Vertanen's value, it expands beyond just drawing penalties. And it's, it's probably something that comes hand-in-hand with his speed and his ability to carry the puck into the offensive zone. I know last year... Or not last year, sorry. Two years ago, I tracked his zone entry numbers, and he was among the best Canucks forwards at getting the puck into the zone. You took it a step forward and looked at some of his underlying shot attempt metrics. Can you kind of get into the value that Jake Vertanen provides defensively for the Canucks? Yeah, uh, I touched on it really briefly in that article, but it's been talked about a lot of other times. And In his rookie season, he was right up near the top, if not leading the Canucks in Corsi 4 percentage. Or he was leading the Canucks. You're yeah, correct. shot share. So fantastic at that and there's there's a couple of reasons that I think go into that one of which is he's so good at carrying the puck and he does it well at speed he tends to outpace defenders and, and go wide of them this hasn't always been beneficial for him in terms of shot quality because he's taking a lot of shots kind of from poor angles which is if I just go off a bit of a tangent here I thought the play last night was really impressive because 
in the past, as he comes in over the blue line there, you might just see him fire off, like, weak angle shots from there. And instead, he was extremely patient with the puck and waited until the exact proper moment to pass the puck right through that player's legs so he could hit that Henrik Sedin as he was coming in the zone. So, I like, there's clear progress being made in the way that he's playing the game and faking the game. The other thing that he's been pretty good at is limiting shots, uh, suppressing shots the other way because he's such an efficient back checker. He doesn't always know exactly where to be positionally, but he's so fast and he's such a hard worker for the most part that he's very good at disrupting plays. And the two of those uh, combined together give him a pretty impressive shot ratio when he's on the ice. Uh, that, that's a really good point when we're looking at Jake Vertanen's value here. Still hasn't really lit up the score sheet, but if you're going to control the flow of play at even strength, that is going to lead to future goals, and that's what matters here. Now, you were telling me earlier today, Jeremy, before we get into prospects here, we're going we're gonna to talk about another contentious Canuck. He plays on the Canucks blue line. You're telling me that you got a little something in the works for CanucksArmy.com about Ben Hutton and how he provides more value than we perhaps give credit because of gaffes like the one against Buffalo last night. I do. I do have something in the works on that. And that's been a bit of a hot topic recently. I've heard on the radio before, there's a lot of uh, Hutton doubters out there, which I'm a little surprised to hear. I remember in his rookie season, he was all the rage. And then when uh, Troy Stetcher came in, it seems like Hutton's the forgotten stepchild or something like that. But uh, the way that I've come to see Hutton the last little while is he's like the new Alex Adler, where there's this because he makes these glaring gaffes from time to time, it really kind of overshadows the things that he does that fly under the radar. And he has a lot of uh, interesting qualities or very valuable qualities. He puts up decent point totals, right? And I think that he could get better as the uh, seasons go on. He's very strong in the power play. He's a very good penalty killer. And he does does good things at even strength that don't always show up in the numbers that people might want to look for. So his Corsi percentages, they haven't been fantastic. Relative to the Canucks, who have been pretty poor the last few seasons, they've been all right. They're not, he's not dragging them down. He's attempting to drag them towards even. Uh, but he does other things on the ice. Like He's very good in his own zone at disrupting plays, and he's very good at uh, getting the puck out of his zone. You can see that in, in zone exit metrics, which uh, there's a, a fella named Daryl Keeping online right now who's been tracking them for the Canucks in the early part of the season. Uh, and you can go and see the uh, the charts he's making for that. But he's very efficient in getting the puck out of his zone, usually with control. He skates it out very quickly. Um, and in that, there's a lot of value that I think that he provides. Jeremy Davis with us from uh, Canucks Army and CanucksArmy.com. And uh, as J.D. mentioned, we'll get into the prospects in a moment. But uh, still on Hutton, do you see then with uh, some of the, the data that you've just referenced and how you size up, what Ben Hutton is and how he's performing currently. Do you see a player that is an optimal partner for him? And I know it's a little bit in flux right now because Edler's out, but uh, if you could have the your choice of defenseman, who would you partner with uh, Ben Hutton to get the, the most out of him? At this particular point, I think I'd want to put him with uh, Chris Tanev. I was a huge proponent of getting the Tanev and Edler uh, pairing back together for the start of the season, but with Edler out of the picture... Uh, I think I'd rather see those two together. And they've played together a little. They played together some last year. They've played together a little bit here early in the season. Uh, they were together last night on the penalty kill, and they were extremely efficient at, at like knocking pucks off opponent's sticks, stealing them, passing like working off of each other back and forth, 
and getting the puck out of the zone. They're, they've been one of the best uh, two penalty-killing defensemen for the Canucks so far. Five on uh, five, though. Five on five, yeah. Well, it's the same idea, right? I mean, just they've been working really well together, and I, I, you know, it's the same kind of idea when it comes to defensemen in their own zone. Whether you're on the penalty kill or whether you're on five on five, you're breaking up cycles, you're working off each other, and you're trying to get the puck out of your zone. You can't always, you know, you can't dump it out uh, when you're at five on five. But I think they work really well together, and at five on five, I'd like to see them together. So you'd probably try to stray from the Erica Branson Ben Hutton pairing, then? Am I correct? I would keep away from that as much as humanly possible. Well, that's very interesting because I, I, I liked last season's experiment of Edler and Stetcher. I don't know if I'm ready to crown Ben Hutton as a, as a top-pairing guy, and I think if you played with Chris Tanev, you have to be that. So, uh, in my opinion, Hutton's not there yet, but certainly intriguing with uh, how you've structured your argument. Uh, the Canucks would love it if that's somewhere that Ben Hutton could progress to, um, particularly if they choose to hang on to Chris Tanev. So uh, that would be... Uh, certainly music to their ears. Uh, when it comes to prospects, Jeremy, who are you keeping track of the most these days? Well, I keep a uh, pretty good track of everybody, but uh, most of this is probably the first year in, since I've been really covering the prospects this intently that they have so many really strong, highly touted prospects over in Europe, and they are a bit tougher to keep an eye on uh, visually. You have to really be up early in the morning if you want to watch the games. Uh, but Ilias Peterson, uh, Jonathan Dolan, Petrus Palmu, who's over in uh, TPS in Liga, the same team that Sammy Salo's coaching that Ole Olevi just went to. He's a very, very interesting player and very small from around the five foot eight area, but built like a tank. And he shoots a ton, and he's he's a really interesting player. And I'm keeping a pretty close eye on him. And have you had a chance to watch TPS at all? Have you have you seen uh, much of Ole Olevi since he joined that team? I think Ryan. Ryan Beach was saying that he's down to the third pairing. Can you confirm or deny these reports? I can't, actually. I haven't seen TPS since Ole joined. I watched them a handful of times uh, to keep an eye on Palmu. Uh, I know uh, I've been watching Ole's ice time, and it's a little bit different because often the European League will use extra defensemen. Um, but his ice time is fluctuating around 15, 16 minutes, so that probably is about third pairing, but I think he probably need some time to adjust to the European style. And of the European leagues, you often hear that Liga is probably the closest to North America, and they, they use a slightly smaller ranks and international standards, so it's not too big of a difference. But he's also been sitting around for quite a long time. Like It took them a, a while to figure out where he was going to play. So I do think he's going to need some time to kind of get adjusted and, and get up to game speed, because the league has been playing... I think they're 15 games in already. That's right. I think they start their season about a month ahead of the NHL. So by the time Ole Levy had been sent down from Canucks camp, they were really far into it. Now, another player a little bit closer to home that I think a, a lot of Canucks fans are curious about right now is Cole Lynn. I mean, how can you not talk about him? Look at the hot start that he's off to. What did, what did you think of the Cole Lynn pick at the time, and how have you liked his progression in his draft plus one season with the Kelowna Rockets? Uh, I really liked the pick at the time because we, I think we had him somewhere in the mid to late twenties, if I remember correctly. You do. Um, so you know, if you get a, a player after the place that we've uh, thought that he fit in the draft board, then I'd say that's a, a success. 
And uh, I really enjoyed the video that the Canucks put out, the, the little uh, behind-the-scenes draft bit where Jim Benning was wondering, why isn't anyone taking Cole in when they're still in the, the late first round, right? So I think uh, they're very happy to get him where they got him to. And as far as he's uh, played this season, uh, it's been phenomenal. He got off to an extremely hot start. I don't think it's uh, likely that he's going to be able to continue to produce at the quite that rate, and you're already seeing him slow down a little bit. I know he did get run pretty hard a few games ago and left the game, and uh, he did return eventually. I'm hoping there's no lagging effects from that because his, his production's been down a little bit since then. But we'll see as, as time goes on if he kind of – he's been a fantastic pickup for it so far for them. His development is going uh, about as well as you could hope. One more for you, Jeremy, before we let you go. It is the uh, ramp-up to the World Juniors, which, by the way – uh, the TSN Radio Network will carry, as they always do on an annual basis, this year from Buffalo. And uh, there's a chance that the Canucks have uh, some good representation from their prospect pool on Team Canada. The Canada-Russia series is ramping up as we get into November. Colin, whom we just spoke about, could play in both games for the WHL roster going up against the Russians. And then Jonah Gadjevich is expected to play in both games for the Ontario Hockey League version. And... Michael DiPietro will dress for the game on the, excuse me, November 13th. So there's three right there that at least have uh, put themselves in good position to have a run at the roster. Uh, do you think there's a chance that all three could be there come Boxing Day? I do, actually. And uh, some points were made uh, around the time of the summer showcase that Jonah Gadjevich might actually be better suited to the team because he plays a style of game. He's a big guy, right? He looks like he's about 30. Usually skating around with a big beard. He's very imposing. Team Canada doesn't have a lot of players like that, and they might want to take one, so that might work in his favor. Cole Lynn, then, with the start that he got off to, is almost all but assuring his spot on the team at this point. And I've heard people who are more in the know than me suggest that Michael DiPietro might not only make the team, but might be the starting goalie as they go in towards the medal round. So I think there's a very, very good chance that you'll see all three on the team and maybe even in fairly prominent roles. Wow, bold predictions from Jeremy Davis, part of what he does on a daily basis for Canucks Army, CanucksArmy.com, and uh, certainly Canucks fans, I'm sure, would love to hear those names take part for Team Canada uh, come Boxing Day on their run to get back to the gold medal game and change the result this time around in Buffalo. Jeremy, appreciate your time on this Saturday. Thanks for uh, going through a number of topics with us. Yeah, thank you. Jeremy Davis of Canucks Army. Uh, talking all things Canucks as we move through hour two. And to go right back to the start with Jeremy and Jake Bertanen, just before we uh, move into our, our final segment, I like the progression from Jake. Even if we just zero in on this road trip, I thought uh, in Ottawa, uh, one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that Jake was in on plays, but maybe not necessarily stringing them together. And so some examples would be a good hit on Fanuf, the puck's right there, unable to get to the puck. And so you separate the man, but your job doesn't stop there. Uh, being open in the slot for one time or fanning on that, missing the net. That happens, but for guys like Vertan and Besser, it becomes even of the, of the more utmost importance to, to make a difference and to... Uh, really make use of your shifts. And so you want to see the puck hit the net there. Uh, lo and behold, in Boston, he 
charges to the net aggressively around Charlie McAvoy, draws the game's first penalty, is uh, blocking shots late in the hockey game. I thought the best was yet to come in Buffalo a night ago for Jake Furtan and playing with uh, Daniel Henrik Sedin. And that started the segment with how Travis Green was openly uh, willing to speak about how well Jake played and perhaps thought it was his best game of the bunch through seven for Travis Green's Vancouver Canucks. And so uh, one of the reasons I have so much fun on this program is hearing from uh, Jeremy Davis and, of course, UJD sizing up why some of the underlying numbers work for Jake and making a case to play more. But uh, I'll bring it back to what I see. And what I see is a little bit of a checklist for Travis Green and Jake Furtanning needing to put his name beside those check marks to get more opportunity. I think he's done that. And I think so far he's moving in the right direction on this road trip. You know what? I think he's prioritizing the right the right elements of his game <clears throat> to ensure that he gets a full-time spot with the Canucks. I'm just looking at his game-by-game his -game progression here. We see the ice time going up. One thing that we're going to need to start to go up, and, and this is going to come with Jake Vertanen's evolution as a player and his development as somebody who can reach that offensive potential that comes with being a six-overall pick, he's going to need to get the puck on net more. He's only had an average of about... Well, less than two shots a game, and he's going to need to improve upon that if he's ever going to reach some of those lofty heights. But it's good to see that he's taking care of the things that coaches take notice of, some of that back-checking, some of drawing penalties, and just having a good overall two-way impact. That's going to keep him in the lineup. The good and the bad from the Canucks and our opinions. We're only into the second week of the show, but uh, that doesn't mean that we are uh, shy of having some takes that maybe haven't panned out. It's karma. Will it be good or bad for us? That on the underside. It is the Nation Network radio program presented by Canucks Army on the voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. Bringing it home, Nation Network radio presented by Canucks Army on TSN 1040. John Abbott alongside J.D. Burke. We're going to do it every week for the hockey season only two weeks in, we're having a lot of fun already talking uh, pretty much all things Canucks. Had a little sample talk of the opponent for tomorrow. The only game in the league, by the way. Vancouver visiting Detroit as they continue their five-game road trip. Have two wins in three games, do the Canucks. And the Red Wings making a pair of trades today, in case you're joining us late. Uh, Riley Sheehan, much rumored to be on his way out, is now officially a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sheehan and a fifth in this coming draft. Go to Pittsburgh for Scott Wilson and a third. So Detroit uh, always trying to stockpile their prospects and draft selections. They do so by getting a third-round pick in that deal. And then a little bit more surprising, perhaps, is Ryan Sproul, the defender, a right-hand shot moving to the Rangers in exchange for former, former first-round pick Matt Pumple uh, out of the Rangers. Uh, prior to that, the Ottawa Senators drafting Matt Pumple. And so the Red Wings busy on their day away from play leading into the Vancouver Canucks tomorrow afternoon Pacific time. By the way, myself and Dave Tomlinson will have coverage of the Canucks and Red Wings following along our chatter anyway through intermissions and... Uh, as well as post-game play, so you can join us on Sunday, tomorrow on TSN 1040. As we bring it home on this uh, second edition of Nation Network Radio, quick look at the out-of-town scoreboard. Not the NHL out-of-town scoreboard, but rather the American Hockey League out-of-town scoreboard. And, J.D., the Comets are well on their way against Rochester. 
That's right. The Canucks might not have an effective power play, but their farm team does. <laughs> the Utica Comets have two power play goals on the day. Uh, they're currently leading Rochester Americans by a score of 3 nothing going into the first intermission. Uh, Thatcher Demko with 22 saves on the night, so he's been plenty busy. But so have the forwards. We've got Darren Archibald starting the scoring at 2.42 into the game. Assist to Carter Banks. And most importantly, if you're a Canucks fan looking to the future, Nikolai Goldobin. He's keeping up his hot pace. And another player who was supposed to figure into the Canucks picture, potentially, uh, it hasn't quite worked out, got lost in the numbers game. Reed Boucher has chipped in with a couple goals this uh, this game. He has one on the power play to go with... Uh, Another Nikolai Goldobin assist. And then another one from Alex Doust and Darren Archibald. And that was with the final minute of the game. You can go to CanucksArmy.com later tonight for a full recap as we're going to be providing game-by-game recaps of the entire Utica Comets season. And you can look to Corey Hergott for those. John? You got yeah. a new segment here. You're you're going to take me to task. Yeah, well, and myself and maybe some of the members of the Canucks as well. It's karma. So it's the good, it's the bad, it's uh, what we sized up from week to week or even before the puck dropped on the season because we're only seven games in. And is it going to be good karma? Is it going to, going to be bad karma? I know that's somewhat... Uh, you know, adds to the true definition of the word. But we're going to have some fun with this subject, uh, pointing the finger back at ourselves from time to time. And I can start that way. And I think we both have one on this topic, or this player specifically, Derek Dorsett. I, I sat there and cringed when I listened to Derek describe his uh, surgery last year and some of the, the off-season prep it took to get back to begin this season. And he vowed before this year began that he would be back he would be playing exactly the way he had always participated and that you would see a man hungry to stick in the NHL and at the beginning of the season despite the fact that I do believe and take Derek Dorsett at his word I thought he might be one of the odd guys out maybe in and out of the press box and JD as we sit here today four goals five points in seven games to share some of the scoring lead for the Vancouver Canucks. So that would be bad karma for me, I think. Not as bad as it would be for me. You thought that Derek Dorsett might be in the press box for the Canucks. I advocated for Derek Dorsett in the Canucks press box. Now, I checked my Twitter mentions last night. and, and Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, there was a fan who, who was sure to bring this up. He brings up these two tweets, and this is where karma is going to kick in because I was wrong and then some, apparently. Now, we're going to go back about a week here. I said, I feel like the Canucks were developing an effective third line of Gagne, Burmistrov, and Vertanen. Still sticking to that talking point. Thank you very much. Worth exploring that at the expense of Derek Dorsett. My very next tweet, I was asked, who would I take out to accommodate such a lineup? And I quote tweeted that with Derek Dorsett. So, karma struck. <laughs> early, <laughs> early blows for both of us on that one. Uh, Michael Delzato. Uh, is a player that I thought should get some enhanced minutes, uh, a, a, a player that I think still really looks good in the fit with Erica Branson. He's had his ups and downs here and, uh, you know, has been temporarily positioned at, higher in the lineup when it comes to the six defenders because of uh, the absence of Alex Edler. And so I don't know if it's quite to the bad karma point yet, but I was in favor of seeing him utilize more and, uh Perhaps you're making the argument for that not to happen, but uh, it's interesting. I don't know if there's really a time uh, or a player that you can fit 
um, to, to fill the minutes from Alex Sedler. So he continues to be uh, very important on the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, a shortened edition of Karma because we have to run. It is the Lions pregame. They're hosting the Edmonton Eskimos. And it'll be Farhan Lalji, Chris Burns, and Lowell Ulrich taking you there uh, on the other side. It's been a blast on this Saturday. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, Eddie Gregory, my partner in crime, J.D. Burke, I'm John Abbott signing off. Week 2, Nation Network Radio presented by Canucks Army. We'll be back next Saturday after the Giants game at 10 o'clock.